الجزيرة بودكاست. Hi everyone, Malika here. Today I'm handing over the mic to our guest host, Natasha Del Toro. Enjoy. I say, let's make America Florida. That's the call from supporters of the governor of the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis. At 44 years old, he's setting himself up as a candidate for the U.S. Republican nomination in 2024. He officially announced his presidential run this week. I think it's fair to say DeSantis is the most likely person to be the Republican nominee not named Donald Trump. And the idea of making America just like Florida might be good for some, whether it's DeSantis's tax policies. Governor Ron DeSantis announced his plan to offer $1.1 billion in tax relief for Floridians. Or his changes to Florida's education system. I'm definitely on DeSantis's side. Go woke, go broke. But for others, that promise is the opposite of paradise. Governor Ron DeSantis signed a parental rights in education bill, dubbed by critics as the Don't Say Gay Bill. The NAACP issuing a travel warning for the state of Florida. The formal travel notice states, Florida is openly hostile toward African-Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals. So what does Make America Florida mean to DeSantis' supporters? And who's the man behind the blueprint? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Michael Cruz. I'm a senior staff writer for Politico. If you cover national politics, which I do, you almost by definition find yourself in Florida a good bit. So in some way, shape or form, I've been covering Florida politics now for well more than a decade and a half, for better or for worse. So um, I live in Tampa, Florida, and um, it seems like I hear Ron DeSantis's name pretty much every day. And and his name is increasingly becoming more popular in U.S. news. What Governor Ron DeSantis is doing. The leadership of Governor DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Governor Ron DeSantis. But his name might be a name that outside of the U.S. people haven't heard of as much. So just to sort of set the table for our listeners, you know, Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida, which is a state that can make or break the outcome of elections. And he's vying for the Republican nomination in the 2024 U.S. presidential election. One of his first defining moments nationally, though, was really during the COVID-19 pandemic. What exactly was his response to the pandemic and what was the reception to it? So Governor DeSantis, in response to the pandemic, did something that I think it's fair to say no other executive, no other governor in America did. He, at first, closed down businesses at the urging of then-President Donald Trump. Pretty quickly, though, he lifted most of those lockdowns and leaned into uh, an anti-lockdown, pro-freedom, pro-business sort of platform. Some call this a reckless reopening. Others a much-needed reboot of the economy. There was a moment when many people in Florida were happy that 
say, their children were able to go to school rather than go to school on Zoom. And, and that was because of you know, the heavy hand of Ron DeSantis. When it came to how to respond to the pandemic, he, as some people like to say, did his own research and decided that certain risks were just sort of unavoidable. Uh, the pandemic made the Ron DeSantis we see today. It made him not just the governor of Florida, but for many, many conservatives upset by COVID restrictions, sort of America's governor, quote unquote. Yeah, and really, he took a gamble and in some ways kind of came out on top, one could say, at least in Florida. So this was really, uh, as you say, a defining moment. It could have also been a moment that fed into some of the other policies that have gained him prominence, like his approach to education and what he calls being anti-woke. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. For people who might not be so familiar with this so-called woke agenda, can you explain what DeSantis says he means when he uses that word woke? Right. What is woke? Ron DeSantis, of course, has said, and you will hear it over and over in the weeks and months to come, depending, or years, potentially, depending on how this unspools. Florida is where woke goes to die. To the woke mob, Florida is where woke goes to die. And the you know, overall overarching platform on which he will be running for president is Make America Florida. So what he means by woke, quote unquote, is a general uh, socio-political leftward drift and in some sense an existential struggle. And so that means that has translated for him into an extremely aggressive, methodical set of policy preferences and, in fact, legislation that has restricted uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, anti-trans efforts, restricting what and how teachers can teach sexual identity, gender, uh, history itself, particularly when it comes to race. Uh, that goes for K through 12 and on up to and including higher ed. This is an overall effort to position himself as sort of a defender, a warrior for a heteronormative, uh, you know, traditionally Christian version of this country as opposed to a more and more diverse, more and more tolerant version of America. Well, another political stunt he pulled that got him criticism and acclaim had to do with immigration. So last fall, he flew migrants to a state that takes less of a hard line on immigration, Massachusetts. He specifically flew them to this wealthy island, Martha's Vineyard. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis flying roughly 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Florida state lawmakers set aside $12 million as part of a program to transport migrants to states like New York and California, which DeSantis refers to as sanctuaries. Can you tell me about this incident and what was the message that he was sending? 
the message he's sending is mainly to liberals whom he sees as far too tolerant and too, I guess, separated from the practical considerations of what he sees as the immigration problem. And so I, Ron DeSantis, am going to drop them into essentially the most cliche location for sort of elite liberal life that you could possibly come up with and make them deal with this. It created an uproar, of course, which was the point. It is now very much a mention that elicits applause on the campaign trail, and it is very much a feather in his cap. It's also worth saying here that in Florida, all of these policies that we've been talking about, you know, as popular as DeSantis is here in Florida, they're also very polarizing, to say the least. And in what might be one of the biggest economic headlines coming out of Florida last week, Disney. Disney is scrapping plans to relocate 2,000 jobs to Florida. The announcement came amid a widening legal battle between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the entertainment giant. Disney is one of the state's largest employers. Disney and DeSantis have been feuding for a long time now over this um, so-called Don't Say Gay bill, which is a bill that says teachers cannot instruct on sexual orientation, on gender identity, or sexual activity. So that's a lot of money and a lot of jobs lost. What does this mean for Florida? And and will it hurt DeSantis in his campaign? The ongoing squabble, the ongoing fight Ron DeSantis is having with Disney already is hurting him. It is, yes, scoring points with mm-hmm. voters in the Republican primary electorate in early presidential states. But it is, more than anything, something that has been spooking really important donors to his political project, people who used to be in his corner squarely, looking for a more acceptable version of former President Donald Trump. This is a big bet, and certainly it's something that even Donald Trump and Donald Trump's closest aides see as a real vulnerability. Yeah, Republicans are nothing if not pro-business, right? And if this is going after one of the largest employers in the state of Florida, with that, is he saying that he's more anti-woke than he is pro-business? He, in fact, according to my reporting last fall, said exactly that. I would rather be anti-woke. I want to be anti-woke more than pro-business. It's a heck of a thing to say for a Republican, and it's a heck of a hill to potentially at least die on. So before the Disney Wars, the migrant flights, and the pandemic, who was Ron DeSantis? And what are his chances at the nomination now? That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, will the Prime Minister of Greece be able to form a new government? His party won the general election but fell short of a majority. So after years of economic and financial turmoil, what does this mean for the country's future? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
Ron DeSantis only became a national figure in the last few years, but when he did, there was one person who remembered him from when their paths crossed 17 years ago. His name is Mansoor Adafi. I am a former Guantanamo detainee. I am from Yemen. As you know, like Guantanamo was established and created outside of our humanity, outside of the legal uh, system. Back in 2006, DeSantis was a junior naval lawyer who was posted in Guantanamo. And Mansour says when he met DeSantis, he and other prisoners were on a hunger strike. Mr. Uh, my Habibi, Ron DeSantis, came. He came to talk to us that he came there to ensure that we were treated uh, humanely. Shortly after, Mansour says he was brought into a room and a tube was forced down his throat by Guantanamo doctors and nurses. They brought a force feeding chair. They just threw us in the chair, like pushing on us, and they start putting straps around my ankles, my thighs, my waist, my shoulders, my head, my arms. And he brought like really a thick tube. The tub was like metal. And he just started like pushing it. Like I was, I was like a dagger in my nose. I was bleeding, screaming. He just didn't care, you know, like, just eat. The only thing, eat, eat. And Mansour says he remembers the face of now Florida Governor Ron DeSantis standing there. I remember him very, very well. He was looking at me. I was smiling and talking to others, like, and I was like, nothing there. I was like screaming at them, shouting, yelling, and like, I was telling him, like, you said you're going to make sure they are treating him mainly, or you are lying. That man witnessed the torture, the abuses in Guantanamo, in Iraq. And such person who doesn't have any boundaries, doesn't have any, doesn't abide by any kind of law, make his own law and bend the truth for, for his own interest. Michael, what was your reaction when you heard Mansour Adafi's story? And how did it impact DeSantis's image? You know, that I think is to be determined. I don't know that it has affected uh, his political prospects yet. Uh, he certainly has you know, almost angrily denied that anybody could possibly have remembered him doing anything or being any way at Guantanamo, given his lack of uh, leadership rank. Do you think it'll impact his image? In a Republican primary, no. If anything, it will burnish his image because he was doing the work that he was doing there and he was earning his stripes, he was serving his country, you know, uh, using his talents to be in the Navy and to uh, keep us safe and secure. That's a different consideration, of course, once, once and if uh, he gets past the Republican primary. And certainly it is something that uh, a Democrat on the other side of the stage, so to speak, would likely attempt to use. When did DeSantis first start becoming the man that he is today, a potential Republican Party nominee? Yeah, I suppose it depends on when you want to start the clock. There are many who knew him as a boy who said that he had his eye on a potential presidential run from the get-go. But more materially, his political career started coming out of the 2010 election during the first term of the presidency of Barack Obama. DeSantis then ran for Congress in 2012 and won, but Michael says he wasn't particularly well-known. Then, in 2018, he ran for governor. 
he wasn't a frontrunner, but he was endorsed by then-President Donald Trump. It was not considered a favorite in any way uh, in that race at the outset. Ron DeSantis, through some combination of hits on Fox and you know, diligent effort to earn the endorsement of Donald Trump, which he then, of course, got. Everybody needs to support Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis was elected governor by you know, 30,000 some votes. That is how one Ronald Dion DeSantis became the governor of America's third largest state. And he sort of came in with this promise of being a Trump acolyte. But yet when he got into office, he didn't seem, prior to COVID, didn't seem that extreme. In retrospect, it is one of the more fascinating chapters of the political ascent of Ron DeSantis. There's this 14-month period, pre-COVID, in which he signaled some strategies and some, some decisions and some policies among them medical marijuana, teacher pay raises, environmental regulation. So there are all these moves that he made to broaden his appeal and to appeal to people who hadn't voted for him, clearly. Just the math says so. And it worked. His reelect last fall was in Florida terms, an absolute landslide. Governor Ron DeSantis handily won his re-election, the largest margin of any Florida governor in 40 years. It's just statewide elections, Just that's just not how they work here in Florida. Well, there's one man that we haven't talked about yet here who is uh, the big elephant in the room, Donald Trump. Some could say he's the real story here. Trump has praised DeSantis in the past, but now that they're uh, going to be running against each other, um, it seems like they've they've parted ways. But what, what exactly is their relationship? In the eyes of Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis is a Florida and now national political figure that he, Trump, made. And that is not entirely wrong. Now... Trump sees DeSantis as a special kind of disloyal to not only turn his back on those career-making favors in the estimation of Trump, but to, in fact, literally challenge him to run against him. I think the party has uh, developed a, a culture of losing. And I think in Florida, we really showed what it takes uh, to not just win, win big, and then deliver big. There are no shortage of political professionals who used to be DeSantis people who are now Trump people. They, too, see him as somebody who's been extremely disloyal to not clear the path yet again for Trump. And they see him, rightfully, I think, as the biggest threat to Trump's electoral prospects in 2024. And so what used to be very much a... Um, uh, a, a marriage of uh, you know, transactional political convenience is now um, not only not a marriage, but you know, a, a relationship that is laced with animosity. So, Michael, all of that to say, do, do you think Ron DeSantis has a chance at the U.S. presidency? I do. Of course he does. I do think that should the Democratic nominee be Joe Biden, and at this point we have no reason to think otherwise, if that's the choice, Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden, 
I absolutely think Ron DeSantis could be the next president of the United States. It's a very transparent presidential campaign he's about to run. The Florida blueprint, as he puts it. Make America Florida, as others say. We have in Ron DeSantis, in a way that's like pretty concentrated and pretty clear, sort of a microcosmic example of the kind of president he would be or certainly try to be. What he's done in Florida in these last five years is, yes, a blueprint for what I think he would try to do to the country as a whole and for, in his mind, the country as a whole. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee with Amy Walters, Sonia Bagat, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Nagin Oliay, Khaled Sultan, and me, Natasha Del Toro. In for Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is The Take's sound designer. Tim St. Clair mixed this episode. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. 